Hi, I'm Jamie Panetta, and this is the Decolonizing Medicine Podcast. I am a queer, non-binary trans person, and my ancestors are Tagalog and Chinoy. My healing arts practice is located at Fruit Camp in Baltimore, Maryland, traditional territory of the Piscataway, and also my services are available virtually. I was contacted by a listener inquiring as to why I stopped doing land acknowledgements in more recent episodes, and I think that is a great question. I go back and forth on whether or not to include a land acknowledgement, Um, not because it's not important, but because I have seen it used in ways that stay performative rather than actually contributing to the material reality of land back and solidarity with Indigenous folks. I was reminded by this listener that we need to keep this conversation and education going. I'm constantly learning and trying to do better, and I so appreciate it when folks help me move in that direction. If you are in the U.S., you can text your city or zip code to 855-917-5263 to find out whose land you're on. The caveat is that this map has ongoing updates as more data is collected from different communities. So do your research and see where you can plug in locally to support indigenous sovereignty and land back movements. Announcements. As promised, Qigong for QT by PGM is coming back. These courses are live on Zoom. Registration will be open April 3rd to May 6th. The course will start on May 7th at 2 p.m. Eastern time and run every Sunday for six weeks. More info is on my website, jamie-panetta-lac.com. And as always, scholarships are available for folks. And if you would like to keep these courses accessible, and especially if you are a white, cishet, able-bodied person, etc., consider being part of the ecosystem by joining my Patreon. Members receive benefits such as bonus podcast episodes, educational modules on traditional medicine, and Qigong videos for self-study. As of this recording, we are working on captions for episode 22, Fight Like a F*** with Kuan McCann. Feel free to subscribe to the YouTube channel to get notified when we post it. So I recorded my most recent Patreon bonus episode right before interviewing Kabang. I was navigating a lot of excitement and nervousness because family is a complicated thing for me. I almost didn't post the recording because it brought up a lot of insecurities. I pause a lot. I lose my words. I ramble. It really challenged the idea of what it means to be professional. In the recording, I am my neurodivergent human self. Moments of situational mutism, alexithymia, alexithymia, I'm not sure how that's actually pronounced, um, and executive dysfunction. I had to remind myself I do not need to strive for perfectionism, and that is colonizer conditioning. I'm so grateful to folks for witnessing this moment and being part of my journey. We are now at 206 plus subscribers on my newsletter. So 206 is a special number to me because it also happens to be the Seattle area code. Seattle is the place where I really grew into myself as an adult, started my first acupuncture practice, unicorn pins and potions. It was It's really still the hub of most of my precious chosen family. In my newsletters, you'll find up, updates on things like Qigong courses, events, um, info on traditional medicine, and of course, this podcast. 
I'm finally doing an in-person movement class in Baltimore. Um, and this is a QT by PGM Qigong introductory workshop on May 3rd from 6 to 8 p.m. I'm so excited to do this. Um, I haven't done an in-person uh, workshop for Qigong, I think, since 2018 or maybe even earlier than that. So I'm very excited. We'll have folks outside and masked up. Again, more info on that is going to be available on my website and no one turned away from la for lack of funds. For folks who want to work with me one-on-one -on -one in person, I am putting together a gender-affirming surgery support bundle. And this is really one of my favorite, most favorite things to do is supporting folks through gender-affirming surgery. Uh, I've been thinking, trying to dream of ways to make it more accessible for everyone. So I'm very excited to launch this little baby project of mine. For this uh, program, spots will be limited. So get on it while you can, uh, please plan accordingly. More details on everything I shared are on my website at jamie-panetta-lac.com. And I'll post a link to that in the show notes as well. Oh, and before I forget, Remember in the last episode when Ku did a community shout out to our past guest, Carolyn from Recovery for the Revolution? Well, they got their book, Answering the Call of the Ancestors, fully funded. Congratulations, Carolyn. I am so excited for you and for this project and the wonderful medicine and magic that you are bringing to our communities. Today's guest is Kabeng Laron a disabled, queer, gender-fluid, mixed-race, Filipinx, multimedia artist with a love for book arts, print, and decolonial art. Their work centers around personal narrative, queer temporalities, and ethnic studies. They also have a special love in their heart for camping, martial arts, and their pet snake, Chumbi. Kabang also happens to be my long-lost cousin. I'm so excited to share this conversation with you. Hi, Kabang. Hi, Jamie. It's good, it's to, good see to see you. you. Um, where are you calling in from? Um, I'm calling in from Chumash and Tongva land. Uh, I'm in Los Angeles. Um, it's raining a lot here. It's been raining a lot. Every week it keeps raining. It's a little strange, but yeah, uh, calling from LA. Good to see you all the way over <laughs> good there. Good to in see Baltimore. you too. It like there was like a dusting <laughs> of snow this morning, which I was not that Whoa. happy about. I'm like, come on, it's the middle of March. I'm ready for springtime. But it is, let's see, it is bright outside, which is good. So, so there is that. I'm I'm hoping that it's just a little bit. It's like a little powdered sugar, not enough to to be fun snow. <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> um, so you're like my flesh and blood relative. The in the bones yeah. in the flesh in the blood. Our <laughs> our um grandparents, your grandpa, my grandma, were our siblings. Were siblings? Our siblings? I don't know which tense to use for that. Um, but we actually didn't really grow up knowing each other. I think because we just our families lived kind of far apart. Uh, so 
I was so excited when you reached out to me. Um, and I'm so curious, like, how did you find me? <laughs> okay, so um, I've told you a little about this before, but um, yeah, I'd just like to say I'm really glad you exist. You're so fucking cool. Um, yeah, I I heard about you when I was a child. I think I was probably in middle school. Um, I was eavesdropping on my parents. Yeah, parents and, do that. Um, yeah, my they do. They they're relentless. <laughs> I I don't know the relative she was talking about. I assume it was your dad, but I, I don't remember what he was like. But she was complaining to my dad about how like this person kid this person's kid like thinks they're a boy now. I can't believe this. Blah 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 blah. And then you know said some more. <laughs> unfriendly things about transgender people and i just remember being like oh shit i have like a trans relative out there or a queer relative or something i'm not really sure with the way she's talking about uh-huh. it but hey somebody's out there that's cool um yeah i i wasn't sure about myself at the time but i just remember like thinking about that and putting that information in my back pocket for a while um <laughs> so to speak but yeah um you know years later after my family like kicked me out and disowned me slash I don't really talk to most people anymore I remembered that like someone like that out there existed and like yeah I'm, I'm kind of a weird person I Facebook stalk my relatives um <laughs> I go around and I realized that like on Facebook you can you can search terms that people use on their profiles and so I was like oh I wonder if any of my relatives are like chill now it's been like a long time since I've been kicked out like how long it's been like eight years now I kind of look around on people's profiles every so often to see if they say anything about queer people but you know um yeah and I was my grandma had died recently the wife of our related grandparents and I was wondering like had she said anything in the past she's I mean I don't think she's been like particularly supportive really she has been unsupportive mostly but like we met up before she died and she was we were on okay terms um but uh what's it called yeah I was looking up different terms and like I I look up like LGBT different like identity labels I also look up slurs and like other words that might be used um yeah I was on hers and I looked up the words it was either LGBT or the word (laughs) demonic and I found the post that you had commented on I was like who's this my grandma had posted something kind of transphobic and you had commented like oh I wish people were more accepting of me um and I was like okay I don't think like my grandma would go out and make like a trans friend this is probably someone related to us so we went from there and that was like yeah a month ago I reached out. That's reached like out and we're jamming. It's so amazing because I have always wondered like who in my family is queer or trans identified, especially like among my older relatives because it's at least in our family culture and I don't know how much this like can be extrapolate, extrapolated to like larger like Filipino culture. Um like our family doesn't really talk mm-hmm. about that stuff. Like it's sort of hush hush, or it's like, or it's like talking shit but behind closed yeah. doors. 
like people like know or they have ideas, but it's it's not like out in the open and it's not a super accepted thing. So I've heard I've definitely like heard rumors of certain relatives, um, but I don't really know anyone who's like openly out. So I was so excited when you reached out and I was like, shut the fuck up. I have a relative who is like queer, <laughs> trans, artist, activist. I was just so, so like over the moon. Oh my goodness. The <laughs> yeah. Keep the compliments coming. Um, <laughs> no, um, that's, yeah, I, I definitely like, at least with my family, it's, or at least my immediate family. It's our family. <laughs> oh my gosh, we're related. Um, they, they're so weird with queer and trans stuff. Like, I when, like, before I was out, it would be, like, how you described, like, behind closed doors, like, people talking shit, but, like, no one really knows if anyone is. Uh, after I came out, I didn't actually come out. My parents added me. Um, that was sucky. But, yeah, like my relatives like like my mom would say some random stuff like I used to be gay and then I'd be like what are you talking about and then she'd be like ah and she'd storm off like trying to cope with me being like coming out as gay at the time and I'm like oh okay I don't really know what that means and it just makes me think like do we have a bunch of older relatives who like are but yeah. just didn't because like our family a lot of our family that. is like super yeah. fucking catholic <laughs> Like, super Catholic. And (laughs) I remember my mom saying, like, just some offhand comment. She was like, yeah, like, I went to an all-girls Catholic school, and a lot of the girls there had girlfriends. And, you know, like, they just were practicing for when they met boys. And I was like, well, um, (laughs) Um... well, I guess I've been practicing, too. you're so well practiced practiced. like what the fuck does that even mean it's understanding queerness as like someone who grew up in the states and in diaspora i think is like such a different experience than like how our parents might have like understood it if they grew up in the philippines i actually don't know if your parents grew up in the philippines or if they grew up here Oh, yeah. Um, My dad's half white. He was born here, but he grew up in the Philippines and my mom grew up in the Philippines. So they're like, it's like a half generation thing. I don't know. I'm basically second generation. Like the concepts of gender and the concepts of sexuality are like, I feel like different in the U.S. if you're second generation versus if you're first generation in the U.S. versus if you like live in the Philippines, that's like a completely different, you know, experience of gender and sexuality and there's just lots to navigate there around safety and like not being able to talk about things directly. And it's kind of confusing. So yeah. yeah. So what, like what a fucking treasure to find someone in for me, at least to find someone in my blood family who can also be chosen family. I'm like, yes, hell yes. This is like, to me, it's like a healing arc it's- where where we're like circling back like past the most recent generations into like like deep ancestral connection of like what of of like who was you know part of the community because 
I think we both know that queer and trans people, non-binary folks, all existed, you know, pre-colonial in the Philippines, which is beautiful. And I, I use those terms in <laughs> because that's like language I have access to, but of course they didn't think of gender in the same way. Like even like those terms are very, very Western white culture and like very modern. Um, and they don't quite encapsulate what it means to exist back then. Um, so just wanted to be mindful of like how I'm using yeah. language and that it's, you know, it's limited. Absolutely. Yeah. They all carry their own unique temporalities <laughs> or whatever. Um, I, <laughs> yeah, I definitely, I don't know. It's, it's weird. Cause I feel like I've spent all this time. It's been eight years since I was kicked out and just like kind of left in Las Vegas with some random relatives and then kicked out again um, <laughs> shortly after. And it's just been like, I've spent all this time like figuring out like queer community and trans community like beyond family. And it's kind of like interesting to be like, mm -hmm. oh wait, it's there too, actually. Like, or, like blood family, yeah. I guess. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get to know you better and spend time with you and Learn about all the awesome things ah. that make you because I think you know. Ditto. Um. <laughs> um, so I mentioned earlier that you're like an amazing artist. And I am so curious how art has served as medicine for you and your community. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, so I looked at that question you sent. Um I'm just going to scroll down to my answer. I love that you took notes, notes here. <laughs> <laughs> so much. I usually write too much, but I tried to make bullet points. Um, yeah. So the question was talking about like medicine for my community. And, um, you know, I guess I was trying to think of this, uh, the question, break it out into parts. Um, when I think about like medicine, at least in a decolonial sense, for the sake of this podcast, um, you know, practices that can help heal or alleviate interpersonal, intergenerational, colonial pain. Um, I'm not saying my art or the things I do can cure physical disease <laughs> or anything like that, but I think it's a medicine that covers bases that um, allopathic medicine does not. Um, if I am interpreting, yeah, like like when you go to a conventional. Um, doctor like an md or something yeah 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 i'm just okay, cool. i'm so curious what um, it has meant to you in your in your own experience of it like what has that felt like hmm um i guess like when i think of what ails us like the consequences of colonial mentality like socially economically like spiritually Qtpoc people redefining what community and family mean to them after losing it, uh, Christianity-based trauma, uh, the constant battle of choosing to become who you are in a world that wants so badly to tell you who you are over and over again. I think art is a great place and medium to um, heal those things, heal with those things, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, like Audre Lorde said, if I didn't define myself for myself, I would be crunched into other people's fantasies for me and eaten alive. 
Um, I think an art or my art is a way for me to tell my own stories instead of letting the world tell them for me. Um, in terms of healing, I've found that, I don't know, people say like, find your audience all the time. I, I guess that's like, I, I make art for me, really. I guess I also make it for other people. It's like a mix. I don't think finding your audience is like the most important thing ever, but I think what has really been cool is finding a community that values my work and like what I have to say as a cutie pop person. Um, people that will hold my vulnerability tenderly, not prioritize a white cis heteropatriarchal gaze because um, being in spaces like that. If I have done that, it is not healing. Do not make art in those spaces. Um, I guess you can, but not not as healing as like being around people who value other perspectives and will not mm-hmm. like try to corrupt your vision in different ways. Yeah, um, I hope when, that makes sense. what I'm getting from what you're saying um, is that art is like a way to extend yourself towards other people and be and present your authentic your authentic self and like find it's like a way to to find community and to find who is aligned with your authentic self in like but it's like you don't necessarily have to put yourself out there because you can use your art to do that like to me that's it's like a little bit safer because there's there's like a little bit of distance but you can be like here's my shit do you like this shit okay you can come (laughs) a little bit you can come a little bit closer yeah you yeah, know, no, like... I, yeah, I I think like it's it's definitely wild. Like I, I have art where it's like it's like obviously my naked body. <laughs> Put it up in front of the class. Like, hey guys, what do you think? And everybody stares at it and they don't say anything. And it's like, cool. Um, <laughs> but I've had you know I've shared it with other people and they've really liked it. And they I think like sharing that personal vulnerability like with people who will understand it. I think that's like a chance to build a bridge with someone. I think that's a chance to connect with people. Um, For me, I can reframe and restate my narratives as they are um, and validate them within myself. I can share them with other people who might feel the same, maybe. Uh, Maybe we can find some kinship there. Um, Yeah, I I think it's a great place to connect, but... um, yeah, making those conversations happen around really uncomfortable topics that I tend to cover is kind of cool, I think. Is there like a particular piece that stands out in your mind that that really functions that way for you? Hmm. Yeah, I feel like if I have like like a conversation about like let's say the story that I wrote about, I made a little artist book. It's a story about my mom and me. Um And I feel like if I just told someone the story, they wouldn't really know what to say. But if I shared it in like a piece of art, they might be able to process it differently in a way that we can talk over. Um, Yeah, I made this artist book a while ago. It's it's about this time. I went to the Philippines when I was younger. Um, We went to my mom's home island in uh, Bicol. Or, well, that's not an island, but it's a place. Um, Yeah, we went to Bicol and... We were going to see her like childhood home that she had grown up in 
and we were driving there and it was like nighttime and we were going with one of her friends who lived there and <laughs> we got to the house and it was just an empty lot and my mom was like what's going on and her oh, friends like damn. i forgot to tell you the volcano took it out a while ago and my mom was just like so sad she was like devastated and the whole car ride home was very awkward and nobody said anything and I don't know if anyone talked to my mom about it but I thought that was like kind of how, wild how do you just forget to tell someone that a place that you're driving to doesn't exist I think she's a terrible friend <laughs> <laughs> I'm just um, like I don't I like cannot compute like what what happened there <laughs> I I was also like, oh, you forgot? We were it, the drive was very long. I I'm not sure <laughs> at what point she was like, oh yeah, like. But um yeah, I, I made this book about it, and you know I've been kicked out, and I, I guess I was just thinking about her story, and the narrative is like crossing with my hashtag my queer life, um, and just going somewhere, um, going like to a home without a house and that like isolated feeling that just weird alienation I thought I kind of identified with that in a different way not the Mm -hmm. same uh but in you know a way that might not really I guess be seen as appropriate by my family because of like this queer narrative but I, I see some cool crossover there so I made a little artist book about it and I shared it with some classmates who are not Filipino who would not really understand this normally, but they were all um, blasted by it. So I thought that was cool to share with them. <laughs> so your art is like, in a lot of ways, it's a translation. You know, that's a good way to put it. I like what you're saying. Yeah, I'll like go with that. <laughs> yeah, like you're taking these experiences that are, you know, difficult to process or to understand, but somehow like through the art it becomes something that's very relatable and very digestible and I think that's yeah that's super special thank you you're warm my heart <laughs> yeah it's the it's the opposite of like when art is like inaccessible you know like when it's like really academic and you need like a certain education to appreciate it and so that's what you're doing it sounds like the the flip side of that where yeah, it's taking yeah. really complex shit and then like making it more accessible that's that's the goal it's it's definitely like especially like in academia just I mean I I had to pay for like all of my college myself and like make it in there just by myself with like just help from some of my like old roommates and friends in the past but not like my family or anything and like it's so isolating being really poor in college (laughs) like just um, trying to make it out there when everybody else has a lot of help. And it's cool to be able to connect with people through art in ways that, yeah, just standard communication certainly does not um, help. So this um, leads really well into my next question, which started out from a quote that you had sent me um, And you said, my education in feminist studies and queer studies and ethnic studies has helped save my life. When James Baldwin said, you think your pain and your heartbreak are unprecedented, 
in the history of the world, but then you read. It was books that taught me that the things that tormented me most were the very things that connected me with all the people who were alive, who had ever been alive. That really resonated with me. So what is one of the books that has helped you connect your experience to others? Um, so the, the book I thought of is like sort of related to what we were talking about, but I, I guess like in a different way. Um, a while ago, I took this class um, where we read a bunch of like, it was fiction and nonfiction um, about um, by and about women of color. Um, and the book I was thinking of was Follow the Rabbit Proof Fence by uh, Doris Pilkington Garamara, I think is her name. Um, it's like a historical account of three uh, mixed race Aboriginal children who live in Australia and like I think around the 1930s and they're like I guess in Australia at the time they had this policy where um children who were like mixed race of like white and indigenous ancestry would be like kidnapped and like forced into these schools to like learn domestic labor and it it was like just a, a slavery system basically um and I had never learned about this before but yeah, I, I thought that book was really helpful for helping me understand, like, decoloniality, like, celebrating indigenous ways of life and ways of understanding the world. Um, it talked a lot about indigenous culture in a way that, like, understands culture as, like, a holistic part of someone's life and not, like, I guess designated only to like holidays and foods which I thought was really interesting um and that's like helped me a lot in terms of figuring out how to connect to my own culture in the last few years um as a mixed race person it just helped me understand more about how like white supremacist or white supremacist rhetorics about mixed raceness um all exist to serve white supremacy um yeah this I hope this is like sort of related but yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely I it's, think um... I I'm a big reader um and I think that like for me books at least serve to heighten my empathy not just and, and my like you know analytical understanding of stuff but to like heighten to heighten my empathy, to hear different voices outside of what I know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think. Yeah. Yeah. There's like so much to understand from like history and like, I don't know if, if things in life seem scary now and like you don't understand them. I feel like understanding like, like, I guess I'm thinking about things like racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, like looking back into history and understanding how those like ideas formed and how they were executed in the past and how those rhetorics have like advanced to the future. Um, I don't know. I feel like understanding how it works makes things seem less scary and helps me figure out how to think about them in different ways now, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. I was thinking a lot after reading it about how like schools function as a way to provide like cheap or slave labor force to keep like the capitalist machine going and like what education you know like how my understanding of education is now and like what it's for and like maybe I should like reorient that if that's like how it's been used in the past I don't know it's got me thinking about some big questions 
That's a huge question. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how do you how do you continue to navigate that complexity of academia slash education where on one hand it's like opening up your mind to understanding all of this like complex shit and and building empathy for others but at the same time it's like you know um indoctrinating us and making us part of this like capitalist machine so where how do you how do you get about that like what do you do um i would say i'm still figuring this out for sure um i think I grew up with my parents saying like the purpose of getting an education is to get a job. And like, I mean, obviously I need to get an education to get a job of any kind. Uh, that's important. Um, but I think, I think there's more to it than that. I think there's more education is supposed to do for us. Um, I've been thinking of things in a personal growth sort of way. And, um, I've been working an internship with the Bulasan center for Filipino studies, which is cool. And like, They've been talking about education in a way that's like, you know, if you're going to go out into academia to go get that knowledge, bring it back, uh, make research by and for the community instead of like producing extractive work. So like, I don't know, using what you learn to help other people. Pretty good mm -hmm. stuff, there, I think. Um, bringing it back to people who don't have that same access. Um, yeah. But it's it's hard i mean academia is like the people who work the hardest and her, who are doing the most important work for marginalized communities are like valued the least and they're paid the least and they're like suffering every day um i would like to go into academia but then i think about that and i'm like hmm i don't think i want to suffer every day and be super poor all the time but you know <laughs> it's uh it's hard and being like the most extractive work that panders the most to the white gaze is most valued and that's that's fucked up you know like these places store a bunch of stolen artifacts from people like there, there's a bunch of like remains of native ancestors stored at uc berkeley and they're just not letting go of those like i don't want to participate in that but i do want to learn so i guess when i can i just reach out to individual professors but that's the most i'm figuring out right now What's your fantasy? <clears throat> well, I'm choking on my own spit. What's your fantasy of what academia could be? Um, ooh, that's a good question. I got to think about that. Hmm. Well, ideally it would be free. Um <laughs> Free and free in the monetary sense or or what other sense? Oh, all the senses. Um, definitely monetary, though. I mean, that's like a huge barrier. Um, I don't know if like I got to think about like how to put this. Like, if it could be liberating for us in that it served the interests of not just you know people like the hegemon, I guess you might say. Um, you know, if it served the interests of marginalized communities, if people, like, were, like, if work that served marginalized communities was valued more, given more funding, people were paid more for the work they do, <laughs> the basics. Um, 
I don't know. I think it could work to help people, um, you know, land back also if if institutions would like. I guess you can't decolonize the institution, but um, you know, if if they would pay their respects to the people whose land they're stealing <laughs> and whose stuff they're stealing, that would be fantastic. Um, yeah, my my fantasy is um, it's a work in progress, but I have a lot yeah. of I have a lot of ideas. <laughs> I love that. I think that those fantasies are so important because without art, without creativity, how can we? make anything new or how can we have anything that's different yeah i think the hardest part about um i don't know wanting the better world and fighting for it is maintaining that vision for the future Mm -hmm. i love that thank you i'm i have a question for you please ask me questions (laughs) um in terms of your education, I've listened to your podcast a few times and also you hosting or not hosting, but going on different podcasts and talking about your life. And I'm curious if you could talk about someone who's been a mentor for you along your educational and healing path and how they've influenced who you are today. I don't know if there's like one single mentor to, to point out. Um, Not because there aren't any, just because there's so many. I would say, like, it's just, like, straight up queer and trans community, especially folks of color, um, who, you know, well... I'll give I'll give, like, a more specific example, right? Like, it's it's queer and trans folks of color in my life who a lot of times are kinky, non-monogamous folks. Um, And I'll bring it back to why that's, why kink is important. And it's because um, there is so much practice of consent and like making sure everyone has what they need in order to feel comfortable, in order to feel like they have agency, and to actually have agency in in what's happening to them. And even though that's not directly, you know, clinical medicine, like I still bring those, bring that learning into how I work with people and like promoting bodily autonomy, having ongoing consent during when we're doing treatment Um, asking people like, what is their experience? How does that feel? Because it doesn't matter how skilled I am as a clinician, like how well I do acupuncture, if I cannot be in good relationship with the person I'm working with. And so those relational skills that I've learned from chosen family, um, that is informed by kink, by like good kink, negotiations by non-monogamy by practicing um consent and negotiation over power and control i think has radically shifted how i how i have my own relationships with people um 
and then also like how I interact with with patients. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> That's so neat. It's just I, you know, like if you are going to allow someone to like paddle you or use a flogger on you or whatever, like they're it might seem kind of extreme, but those are when I have like been around in spaces like that, those are like some of the most tender and most caring interactions that I've seen between people that requires like so much trust and so much communication, like before, during and after. And like, that's how I want my interactions with other people to be like on the regular. That's incredible. Wow. I love that. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, <laughs> and I was also wondering, um, I guess going back, is there any book, author, or poem that's inspired you to take the path that you do as a healer? I think it's so cool that you're a healer. <laughs> <laughs> um, yo, there's so much. In a broad, in like a really broad sense, like totally sci-fi fantasy. Like fiction. Um, like speculative fiction not necessarily like academic work or medical journals or anything like that because um so much of what inspires me is creating new futures or reclaiming old futures coming up with something new and something different um and you need imagination to do that right like i think of like octavia butler and um, so are the, the talents, so are the parables. And, you know, like there's so much in those books that are, are really tragic and like fucked up, but also so much in it about like creating a completely different way of living in community that I find like really interesting and important to look at. Um, when I'm doing healing work on someone, it is like the most optimistic thing that I can do because it's a commitment that something within that person will transform. Huh. Something will change. And we're literally like together, we're, we're writing a new reality for that person. Even if it's in like a small way, like they came in with a headache, we make a new reality and they don't have a headache anymore. It's so kind of it's revolutionary mind. <laughs> <laughs> is it re revolutionary or is it just autistic? <laughs> it can be. Uh, it can be both. <laughs> that's incredible. But you know, like that—that's the whole point of healing work. Is you are create you're co-creating a new reality. Wow, I've never thought of it that way. And that's it can like... be like a small shift, or it can be a really big shift. But it's it's a commitment that something will change. Otherwise, what's the point? Like you wouldn't come in if you didn't think anything would change. That's true. Wow. That's so like wise. And like, even if we don't actively consciously do anything, there is constant transformation happening in our bodies. Like our cells are renewing. We are exchanging oxygen and turning it into carbon dioxide. Like we are literally transforming food, turning it into poo. Like it's 
<laughs> there there are just like a lot of magical processes that happen automatically without us consciously doing anything. What happens when we do consciously do something? And then what happens when it's not just us doing it, but that is in connection with someone else or maybe with like a group of people? Like what happens then? Life is trans, I feel like. Life is trans. We're all constantly in transition. I love that. <laughs> wow, thank you for your your revolutionary insight. That's such a I've never <laughs> heard anyone talk about healing in that way. That's you're blowing my mind. <laughs> you're blowing my mind. <laughs> want to know now which like by pgm slash bipoc individual or group you would like to lift up and name for our community shout out like who can we redistribute funds to redistribute resources to create new possibilities for okay um i guess today i'm doing a shout out for my friend travis um we worked at summer camp together um if you didn't know I wrote my capstone on this topic, but um, uh, American summer camps, especially Girl Scout camps, are a gigantic hub for a queer and trans community, um, as problematic as they may be a lot of the time. Um, it's where a lot of people who are super poor and queer go to work and have housing for a while. Uh, this is someone I worked with for a while. Uh, yeah, Travis Jones. Uh, his Venmo is at Travis hyphen jones hyphen 197 um he has fallen on hard times recently and um is struggling with homelessness so if you would like to uplift a friend and a member of the community it would be cool if you could shout out at travis and throw him some extra funds if you have any to uh help him get by in these is uh trying times awesome We'll put a link to Travis's Venmo on the show notes for folks. Okay, my last question for you is what advice or blessings would you like to give to our listeners? Um, yeah, if you want to get into art, you want to get into art making, remember that everybody starts somewhere. Um, when you start out, not everything you make is going to be maybe what you're wanting it to look like, but that's okay. It doesn't matter how old or young you are, whether you have training or not, or if you make it for other people or just yourself, uh, it's always a good time to make something, whether that's a poem, a drawing, or a book. Um, and the act of creation is a beautiful thing in itself. And uh, yeah, we'd love to see what you have to make. I love it. Just just do the art. doesn't matter. Just do it. Just do it. <laughs> I hope Nike doesn't sue us. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> um, where can people connect with you and learn more about your work? Okay, yeah. So um, if you want to check out my online gallery, you can go to uh, ko-fi.com. That's 
ko-fi.com. Uh, my name on there is Kabang Bang Art, so it's just my name, K-A-B-A-N-G-B-A-N-G-A-R-T. Um, yeah, my gallery's on there, so you can check out some of my work. And if you want to message me or talk with me, you can email me at um, kabangbangart at gmail.com. It is that same name, but at Gmail. So yeah, <laughs> you can reach me over there. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kabang. Thank you, Jamie. You're so awesome. I think You're awesome. <laughs> I saw a picture of you when I looked you up and you had gray hair and I thought, wow, that's so cool. I could have gray hair one day. You're like <laughs> living the queer future, dude. And I think that's amazing. But let me know if that's weird. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Maraming salamat for listening to the Decolonizing Medicine podcast. Music is by Amber Ojeda, Head Candy, and Rocky Marciano. Big thanks to Ku for editing all the episodes. And last but not least, a big thank you to all our listeners and supporters out there. Ingat.